Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. And I am really excited to have with me today my dear friend and colleague, Melissa Barnes. Hi, Melissa, how are you? Hello, Sydney, how are you? I'm good. It's great to see you. Super to be here. Yeah, well, you guys, I can't wait for the whole entire audience to get to know a little bit more about Melissa. And I'm sure by the end of this video podcast, you'll understand why um, she and I have uh, really become uh, really great colleagues and great friends in this industry that we are in. But let me tell you a little bit about Melissa. So Melissa is the Senior Vice President of Enterprise Management, and she's also the Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer for Eli Lilly and Company, which I think everyone knows is a global pharmaceutical and healthcare company company. In that role, Melissa leads Lilly's global ethics and compliance function, and she's an executive officer of the company and serves on the executive committee. And since 2016, Melissa has also served on as an independent board member for the board of directors of Algonquin Power and Utilities Corporation that's headquartered in Toronto. Melissa is also the immediate past chair of the Ethics and Business Integrity Committee for the International Federation of Pharmaceutical Manufacturers and Associations and she serves as a board member for the Ethics Research Center. Melissa holds an undergraduate degree in political science and government from Purdue and a law degree from Harvard Law School. Hi, Melissa. How are you doing today? Hi, Cindy. Doing well. Doing Good. well. Happy to be here and looking forward to a great conversation, as always, with my friend, Warwick. <laughs> so first, I just have to say, so you went to Purdue and, and you got a government and political science degree at Purdue. I, did. I had another dear friend in law school who went to Purdue who was an engineer. And like I've come to know since then that Purdue is is a huge engineering school. So so how did it feel to be a political science and government major among a bunch of engineers at Purdue? Well, okay, so first of all, I do love Purdue engineers and happen to marry one. So that's the good news about Purdue engineers. Um, I actually chose Purdue because when I uh, was choosing my undergraduate, I thought I was going into pre-vet or pre-med and um, had, was leaning toward pre-vet, which is why I chose Purdue. Purdue has a, a fantastic veterinary medicine school. And so that's how I ended up at Purdue. And I was, uh, there, there are a couple of routes to veterinary medicine. One at, and at Purdue anyway, one is through um, chemistry and biology and the other is through agriculture. Well, if you know me very well, you know I was not gonna go through agriculture. And so I was um, a chemistry and biology major for about a year and I, I tell the story that I it was three in the morning and I was five pages into a chemical equation and decided that, that is not how I wanted to spend um, the rest <laughs> of my college career and so I changed uh, changed majors and um, happened to uh, as an elective had taken a political science course from a fantastic professor there and there were a few fantastic professors there in political science in my time and um, and I just developed a love for it and pursued that and and uh, that's how I ended up a uh, 
political science and government major at Purdue University. Well, now you have been in this field, ethics and compliance now, legal, ethics and compliance, governance, enterprise risk management, all of that for a long time. And you've had such a wonderful, long storied career at Eli Lilly, 27 years. And that is something that is really to be commended. That's fantastic. Um, but I got to imagine actually working at Lilly must have been like none other with COVID. <laughs> so what must it be like to work at a company that's actually trying to like scientifically develop something the entire world needs on top of just dealing with like the regular COVID stuff? Yeah. So um, it, it has been a, a sort of an unbelievable time, I would say, for all of us, really, uh, you know, around the world, no matter what industry you're in, but certainly in the healthcare space. Um, this is, has been an, uh, an opportunity really for, um, for our purpose to shine, I would say, right? Um, people who work at Eli Lilly and company, companies like ours, people in the healthcare industry, look, look it's a heavily regulated uh, space and as well it should be. I always follow that with as well it should be given what we do, right? We make medicines to give to people who are, who are ill, who are sick. Mm -hmm. And so um, they're at their most vulnerable points in their lives. So that we are regulated um, is, is, is completely understandable and uh, accepted, right? So um, if you're gonna work in, in that kind of environment, you have to love what you do. And, and I think that's, uh, you know, that, that's why people at, at Lilly come to work, get out of bed and come to work every day, but uh, because they're so motivated by our purpose. And our purpose has never been more crystallized than I would say um, as in this past year. Yeah. Um, it has, uh, you know, I, I, I say, um, not only did we need to ensure that, you know, the 40 million people around the world who count on our medicines every, every day, um, we had to make sure that they were getting their medicines, but yeah. uh, we also had to make sure we were keeping our employees safe, that we were serving right. our community, that we were, um, you know, doing all, and, and frankly, you know, kind of harnessing science, if you will, to, um, to fight this virus with everything we had in us. Yeah. Not just with ourselves, but looking for collaborations and looking for ways to do this in a way that um, is meaningful and in, in serving the needs of of uh, of patients who are waiting. So um, it's uh, it has been an honor, I would say, to sort of stand back and watch Team Lily rise. Uh, it's yeah. amazing the amount of effort um, that people have been willing to give. And the amazing thing I've, I've seen, Cindy, is that we haven't had to ask anybody to do really anything much, right? I mean, people are willing to just go uh, the extra mile, run the marathon, right? At a sprinter's pace. <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, and, and do what needs to be done. Uh, and just, uh, just amazing things that you would have, you know, if you had asked us before all of this got started, is it possible to do these things? Right. Uh, I think you would have got varying, varying answers. So it's been just a privilege, an honor, um, and sometimes tiring, I'll admit it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So and everybody say else, right, to sort of make this, make this all happen with, with those core principles at, at the heart of it all. Which is fabulous to hear, but it, to run as a marathon at a sprint pace is truly superhuman. So how, how do you, how did the company like, how do you deal with that? I mean, people must've just been at their wits end more yeah. than once because of the, you know, just because of the situation. You know, look, we're all, we're all human, all of us. And it's, um, and there was a lot going on in everybody's world, right? There were there were people who were trying to you know take care of their little kids at home yeah. who no longer had daycare 
or who were trying to teach their little kids at home, right, or big kids, depending on them. I'm not, mine are big now, but uh, I, I certainly have all the respect in the world for everyone who was trying to, to, to juggle all of that um, and keep things moving um, at work at the same time. So I, there was a, we, we spent a lot of time and effort as an executive team, frankly, talking about the well-being of our employees, how to keep them engaged, how to give them the flexibility they need to make it through this time, um, because you know we care about them for the long term. Yeah. Um, so there, we, we had we have a fantastic well-being program at Lilly, and we I think we really doubled down on that. Another thing we did is double down on communication, um, because I think people were um, in order to engage people, in order to really um, keep their hearts and minds. Uh, I, I, they didn't know what was happening. And I think one of the one of the good learnings that came out of this, uh, for, for us at least, was how important uh, just amped up, more regular, uh, more communication than you ever thought you would ever do, yeah. uh, how helpful that can be. Yeah. And I think we're going to take that lesson with us well beyond this pandemic about how, the importance mm-hmm. of just consistent um, regular communication with our employees using various media, right, various right. ways of reaching them, um, giving each each person kind of what they need uh, when they need it. I love yeah. there's there's, a, there's an analogy I heard that while we were all facing the same storm, we were in different boats, and um, and so depending on which boat you're in, what your boat looked like, right? You needed different things, and I think um, sort of recognizing that and providing flexibility more than anything. Uh, was key to all of that because again, it, it doesn't. It, it's not going to help everyone if you say, you know, for instance, you know, we're not going to have meetings after five. Well, you know, sometimes that, for the person who who uh, you know needs to get their pick yeah. up their kids and get them, you know, th- that doesn't yeah. necessarily help them. So right. I think the key was focusing on uh, flexibility and and what works best. So I think another thing that we're going to take into the the future post this pandemic is going to be a greater and continued focus um, on kind of ESG, because not only were we, you know, fighting one one battle and all being in different boats, we had other issues that rose up last year too, with um, you know racism issues and and uh, a lot of that, um, and that came on the heels of really the business roundtable uh, changing yeah. its statement on the real purpose of a corporation, okay. from focusing just on the shareholder to saying no, 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 the purpose of the corporation is to focus on all stakeholders, and I think many of us had worked for companies on Eli Lilly being one. Walmart being one that was already leading in that way, but it does say something different when you actually put it on a piece of paper and have you know 181 um, CEOs of some of the world's largest companies sign that piece of paper. So all of a sudden, there's this you know much greater focus on all stakeholders, which came out of partially the pandemic and fighting that storm, fighting the racism storm. You have you know the business roundtable statement that preceded that. You've got ESG issues that have been coming up, you know, 25 years ago, nobody was talking about this stuff, Melissa. You and I both know that. It's <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> very little. You made the point bit. that I was around 25 years ago, so I can confirm. <laughs> yes. But they, they just really weren't. So what do you think, let me just ask you first, what do you, what do you think was the tipping point? Um, if you can pinpoint that at all, what do you think has caused this change? Yeah, Cindy, I don't know if I would call it a tipping point. I think it's been sort of a, um, a consistent crescendo, I guess yeah. is how I would say. Um, I don't know if I, 
Um, I don't know if I can point to a tipping point, but I think it's the recognition of um, that that uh, a profitable company is a well-run company, and a well-run company is more than just profits, right? And and um, and it's it's maybe highlighting the tension between can do and should do yeah. uh, in that in that mix. So I'll I'll use an analogy. You and I were in the ethics compliance profession for for a while, right? And if we go back, uh, which is really a fairly, I would say, immature profession at this point, if you compare it to law or or medicine sure. or right. whatever, right? Right. Um, and so if I if, if I go back, you know, a, a few years um, to ethics, to excuse me, to compliance 1.0, right? Because that's what it was. It was compliance. Right. And it was, you know, you should maybe you should have a compliance officer, right? And maybe you should have a compliance program and maybe it should include, you know, these kinds of elements. Um, and that's what I call, you know, compliance 1.0. Um, and it was it was a focus on on what you what you can do. Yeah. Right? And and that's where the efforts were focused and that's where corporations, frankly, were focused. Right. That's yeah. what was focused on. Yeah. Then comes what I call ethics and compliance 2.0. Right where there was a recognition that you can have a beautiful program on paper and you can have a compliance officer and all of those things, but if it is sitting inside of an ugly culture, that it's mm -hmm. not going to be effective and it's not going to get you what you need. And so I think there was there was a few corporate scandals, and I won't call any one out in particular, but I think we can all choose our you know our favorite one, the most infamous, um, that proved the point that if you know that a corporate culture is absolutely critical. Yeah. Uh, to to a to a you know a company doing what it should do and can do right can do and should do so i think that the focus on culture and what we're doing there brought into to the to the mix the ethics and compliance officer and an ethics and compliance program yeah you're focusing on less on well i mean you're focusing still on the can do but as a subset frankly of a much larger and more important topic integrity and ethics yeah. Right. And that's when it kind of broadens to include things like what we used to call corporate social responsibility. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, right. And and you start you know thinking about the, the should do kinds of things. I think there's also been an, a lot of research, frankly, that that points to the fact that, you know, companies that focus on those sorts of things, the should do's, um, the ethically run company, the company that are not just thinking about the short term profits, but the long term sustainability. Right. Um, those companies tend to do better, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of studies that show that yeah. Yeah. those companies are well run and therefore yep. they tend to be, you know, profitable and that you kind of get the best of both worlds in that in that situation. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean anybody know, can go look at the 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 research done by Ethisphere for the world's absolutely. most yeah. companies and they have the statistics to show and the analytics to show absolutely. that the companies on that list outperform. Um, the large cap companies, and sometimes it's exactly. by as much as like it's been five percent, it's been seven percent, it's been a yeah. lot. Yeah, that they yeah. outperform yeah. by. So if anybody's looking for kind of hard metrics for the fact that, you know, a profitable company is a well-run company, to use your words, and a well-run company is profitable, that goes together. It doesn't have to be an either or. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Well, I think that's the whole point behind the ESG, right? I mean, you have wow. investors, banks looking for ESG metrics and things. It's a recognition, frankly, yeah. of the of the investor base that that's true. We're we're going to pay attention to this, right? And because yeah. we believe 
that that that, that correlation is there, right? If right. It's a wealth company, and, and 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 again, one that's thinking about the long term. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what society's thinking about, right? Because right. well, eventually, what where as goes society, so goes you know policies and regulations and all of those things, and so. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're if you're operating with that in mind and yeah. looking around those corners and planning for that, right? It's why one of the reasons I love enterprise risk management is, you know, you 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 try to you know use your crystal ball and and look yeah. for those things that are coming, and you can mitigate against them. And a well mitigated risk is an opportunity. I think I think this is a nod to that, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're really right about that. So let me ask you about the, some examples. So last season in my kind of video podcast series, I talked to a, a host of academics from all over the world about the future of business ethics. And when we brought up the topic of the business roundtable and you know a change to the uh, stakeholder theory, you know many of them uh, commented, "Well, it's really great to have it on a piece of paper, but it's really going to depend on what the companies do to bring that statement to life." So. Can you be, so let's be clear, Eli Lilly was a signatory. Um, Walmart was a signatory as well, proud signatory. And um, I would love to hear if you've got some examples of what Eli Lilly has been doing um, that exemplify um, its position as a signatory to that new stakeholder sure. theory. Sure. Yeah, I, I think it, I, I have a few and, and I, you know, I'm, we both are fortunate to have worked for for companies, right, that have a heritage of this kind of philosophy. Um, you right. know, Lily's 145 years old and and growing, you know, and aging, and um, and still a company that is, you know, based on its founding principles and core values, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, core values being integrity, excellence, and respect for people, and and that's guided the company not just how we run the company internally, but how we interact with the world around us and and um, in our communities. So this is honestly a, a pretty natural extension uh, for us. It's not necessarily true of all companies. And I respect right. those companies who are newer, frankly, yeah. or, or, or yeah. an amalgamation of several cultures coming together, right? I mean, we're all, again, in different boats. Um, right. But um, we're fortunate to have our heritage to stand on, right, as a foundation. So we're looking at things like, you know, when we think about as a healthcare company in particular, um, and we look at, at, at one of the biggest issues around the globe, it's 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 access to quality healthcare, mm -hmm. right? So one of the things that Lilly is committed to is an initiative that we call 30 by 30. And the idea is that we will um, put into place, uh, you know, actions that will affect quality healthcare for 30 million people in a given year by the by 2030. And we do that by collaborating with different kinds of organizations, so governments or um, not-for-profit organizations, and creatively coming up with ways to reach people in resource-limited uh, geographies and, and marketplaces to to help them access quality healthcare. Okay? That's awesome. An example of an example of, of one of those kinds of collaborations is the Antimicrobial Resistance Fund, right? And and it's a and it's a fund that. That we're involved with, but it, it, it's a it's a, a beautiful collaboration of many pharmaceutical companies and and other partners, including investors and philanthropic organizations. And the uh -huh. idea is that this fund will then uh, will bring necessary resources in terms of money and, and expertise, frankly, to look for um, new antibiotics to to you know to to treat people. And that's a huge need for for global economies, including in particular, right those in resource limited 
um, areas that antibiotic need. And so that's an example of one of those things, among many others, of course, um, of the 30 by 30 initiative. So that's kind of our, a, a global example. From a community standpoint, right? Um, look, we, we, we are a big partner with United Way. We have a, a long-standing commitment in partnership with United Way, and um, we're very proud of it. One of the things we do, we've been doing it since 2008, is a global day of service. And we kind of keep track of that. And, and on any given day, all Lilly employees everywhere don our red t-shirts and we go out and we, and we work for our community. And as a result of that, we have about 1.2 million employee hours since 2008 wow. we've donated to our local communities. And that's wherever our, you know, wherever we live and operate in the world. So that kind of has a broad span. Um, and just, you know, for 2020 um, contributions of, of $13.4 million. Um, to local communities, and that's from employee uh, contributions um, and and matching funds from our our Lilly Foundation. So it's a uh, uh, it's something that we we take very seriously at Lilly, and and that our employees are um, again uh, uh, it's fun to watch in these situations. Team Lilly rise to the occasion and uh, and really give back to communities. It's a, it's a great thing. And you mentioned social justice, and that's kind of another area that I would say. Um, yeah, yeah. that we've taken very seriously and really tried to lead, particularly in our community, and, and started a a, a, um, a social justice fund. We've, it's a, a contributed $25 million over the next five years to really try to make a difference um, in the social justice space and in the Indianapolis area. So, um, you know, that's, that, that gives you a feel for community. I don't want to leave yeah. out our employees because I think that's such an important piece, too, um, okay. when we think about diversity and inclusion. Um, and we've we've uh, made such great progress. So again, Bennett Lilly um, heading toward 27 years. And so um, I've had the opportunity to see the progress firsthand um, in this space. And I'm just so proud of all we've done here. We've I, I think we, we we've taken a bit of a research approach to it in, in the past. Um, I would say the past five to seven years that have made that's made just a huge difference. So you know, um, in the in our in our typical workspace. Uh, and when we're bringing a product to market, we really need to understand exactly what's happening um, in from the patient's perspective, right? So we do what we what, what's called this patient journey, and how does the disease affect the patient? What are the moments of truth along the, the treatment oh. journey, if you will? How do we how do we understand all that's happening in that patient's world so that we can develop the product? Um, in a way to, to meet the needs, develop the kind of data that, that healthcare professionals need to treat those patients along that, that, that disease journey. So we took that idea and applied it to, uh, to an employee's journey at Lilly. So, and different, you know, different uh, kinds of employees, types of employees. So we started with women and then we expanded it to include our black employees at Lilly and the Hispanic employees at Lilly, et cetera. And, and how, what's their journey like? What are their moments of truth? Um, and really apply, a, you know, a, a research-based approach to this That's kind great. of and qual. Um, research and and in finding those moments of truth and addressing that those specific needs for those specific populations you know we've been able to set some aspirational goals um since 2017 make real progress in this space and you know as a result of one a catalyst award and some other things i think this this methodology has been um you know seen as as, as something that's worth celebrating mm -hmm. and um and we're starting to see the results of that and and so you know really taking opportunities to to make sure our employees understand that we 
truly value um, diversity and inclusion. We're not just talking about it, we're doing something about it. And um, frankly, that has a huge impact for, for ethics and compliance, because as you and I both know, that trust piece is so important. Exactly. And, and the, the willingness to speak up um, when yeah. if you see an issue, right? Certainly if you see an ethics compliance issue, well, that's very tied to if you feel comfortable yeah, bringing yeah. your authentic self to work and speaking up on any topic, right? So exactly. you can sort of link those two very neatly together. And um, so I would say having a, a diverse and inclusive environment is absolutely linked to having an ethical, uh, you know, business ethics kind of environment or one that's conducive to business ethics for sure. <laughs> so Melissa, you, 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 we talked about, you know, kind of compliance 1.0 and we talked about ethics and compliance or to 2.0. So if you did have a crystal ball yeah. and looked into the future and you're thinking about what ethics and compliance 3.0 yep. um, should be, uh, what do you think that is? So, um, I actually have a theory here. So um, culture is important and we know that, right? But what's culture? And culture is the sort of amalgamation of, of individual behavior. So I think really truly understanding behavioral ethics, understanding people and how people react to different fact patterns and situations, um, you know, that that broad triangle, right? When the, the, the human propensity that we all face, right? Every single one of us, you and I included, right? Um, if you're put in the right situation and you, you're, you've got a lot, of, I always make my triangle with my fingers. Right? <laughs> um, if you're, you know, you've got a problem that you're facing and you're put in the right situation, your significant pressure, there's an amazing propensity, right? All the research shows um, to rationalize, right? And good people, really good people can make some really bad decisions in, in, that, in that kind of world. So um, I think understanding that more um, and um, it, and why? Not just because not not because we want to provide an excuse. Not because um, you know it's just an interesting academic endeavor. Rather, it's if once you understand the risk, then you can mitigate against it. That's right. Right. And so, so what we talk about at Lilly, um, and what I think is get, this profession is going to move into is is how do we um, how do we best mitigate against those risks? You know, we we talk about things like um, you know back to diversity and inclusion. Surround yourself. Uh, with people who have different lenses and who will speak truth, yeah. right? If you know that in certain situations you run the risk of rationalizing, then surrounding yourself with people in an environment, right? In an environment where they feel comfortable speaking up, where, and so, so leading that way with right. that kind of diverse uh, population around you um, is one way to mitigate against that risk, right? Assigning a contrarian to a particularly difficult area, putting the patient in the room. I know some teams actually have a chair and that's the, you know, the, the patient is represented in the room. Um, understanding that if we keep the patient at the center of our decisions, we're going to get it right, you know, 99% yep. yep. of the time. Right. And, yep. and so um, I think thinking about it in that way and then as leaders, right. Understanding, okay, if, if I understand that construct and I understand that human beings can rationalize even really good ones, cause I only hire really good ones. Right. Um, then, then what are, what am I doing? So really self analyzing, what am I doing as a leader to put pr pressure on my team? And we yeah. all have that, right? We have pressure to perform. We have, you know, performance metrics, all those things. Yeah. But then what am I doing to mitigate against rationalization? If I do that, how am I keeping tabs on what questions am I asking? How am I measuring? 
um, whether or not that pressure is appropriate or not. Um, and so it's, it's uh, I, I think that that human behavior part is going to take a much, much bigger role. And here's the other part. Um, we're going to need to marry it with data. Right. So mm -hmm. as we understand that there's this huge pro proliferation of data and transparency, right? We all have more data on us than, than uh, so we ever thought we would for sure. At least I do. Um, and, uh, and there's data on everything. And so yeah. looking for and capturing that data and understanding what that means from a human standpoint, right? So, you know, yeah. if, if, if this, you know, when I think about leaders looking at their teams, if you see, you know, three key metrics and they triangulate in a certain way, does that, is that predictive, right? Of bad decisions or, or the perfect, uh, the perfect storm, right? for the kinds of rational rationalizations that none of us want. So harnessing the data that we have, the, the more and more and more increasing, more and more data that we have as right. organizations, harnessing that, getting smart about how we use it, using technology to mine it and pull together that predictive piece, yes. I think is gonna be um, part of ethics and compliance 3.0. That's yeah. my prediction. I do too. I think you're right. So if that's your vision, if you only had three words to really describe what you think the future of business ethics and kind of responsible business growth should yeah. be, what would those three words be? Okay, this is easy and I say it all the time. So that's why it's easy. So it's um, win with integrity. Oh, that's great. Right? And it's yeah. win because, you know, look, um, I happen to work for a company with an awesome purpose, right? So we unite caring and discovery to create medicines to make life better for people around the world. And I think everybody would say, yeah, we want you to win at that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think winning has, a, has an integrity all, all to its own, right? But of course we want to win with integrity. Yeah. Um, the how matters. Yeah. It matters so much uh, in the healthcare space, right? Trust is trust is important to every industry, but trust is particularly important in the healthcare space. Again, yeah. why I mentioned earlier, you know, people are at their most vulnerable points when they when they need our medicines, and so they have to be able to trust us. All right. So you mentioned academics. So my last question to you before a fun one at the end is: yeah. What do you think that business schools ought to be really focusing on right now to best prepare? Um, students to enter this turbulent world and still win with integrity, to use your words. What do we should we be fo focusing on? Well, so I, I mean, I think from a business and from a business ethics standpoint, um, the one thing I always say is you have to know the business. Um, and so I would say, you know, business schools in particular are, are teaching a pretty uh, critical skill set, if you will. Um, in, in and of itself. Now, so, so in any chosen field, if I were talking to a student, I'd say whatever field you're going into, um, you need to understand it, uh, you know, the, the best you absolutely can, right? You need to know the business front to back. Um, and you need to understand it because it, you're not gonna even recognize ethical dilemmas if you don't under, understand the business, the markets, your competitors, what those products are intended to do, the unintended impact of metrics, for instance. So understanding, you know, yeah how your business works, how it functions in the marketplace, I think is is foundational. Okay. Yep. From there, uh, I think I'm going to, I'm going to go back and pick up a point I, I mentioned before. I think understanding human behavior. Uh, got it. Um, is absolutely critical mm -hmm. so that you know it for yourself and you mm -hmm. can, uh, you, you know, you can 
do your own work, create your own teams, find your own space in a way that allows you to mitigate against the risks that you yourself um, face in you know, those rationalization um, vulnerabilities, as well as as you move through your career when you're leading teams. I think it's, yeah. it's that that human piece um, will, 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 I think, is what really separates uh, leaders, right? Yeah. IQ yeah. and EQ. It's putting those two things together. Uh, I think, it, it, you know, really takes leaders the farthest, I would yeah. say. I think you're right. Well, and you have clearly mastered that skill, in my in my opinion, measuring, putting together both the IQ and the EQ. So this has been a, a really insightful conversation, Melissa, and I appreciate you sharing with us everything you did about Lily and what kind of year this has been and examples of how they're living out the business roundtable statement and thoughts on ESG and the future of ethics and integrity. But I have one last really fun question for you. I know you've been super busy this last year, but have you had any time at all to watch anything or read anything for fun for a little bit of release, but that also had a really kind of cool ethical dilemma to it the more you watched it? Hmm. Let me th um, read it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, here's a fun one. It's kind of a bit of a mindless one, but I, I think it makes the point. So um, I, my, my husband and I actually have watched a few episodes of Good Girls. <laughs> I love that one. I do. Okay. 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 And I think, and I, I actually joked with him that um, I think this, like, you know, should be like required watching when you're coming into ethics and compliance, because I think it makes the point exactly that um, that you can rationalize like, good people, otherwise good, normal people, people can rationalize terrible decisions, right? Yes. And that once you get started down that road, so this is about for those people, you know, who are listening, who may not know what this show is about. It's about these, like, you know, three otherwise normal suburban women who are in pretty, you know, rotten situations personally, each yeah. of them. Yeah. And that's what kind of causes them to find themselves where they find it, you know, somehow uh, wise in their mind to rob a grocery store. Mm -hmm. And then it just, the snowball starts rolling. Right. And, right. But isn't that true though? Like, as you know, as you think about, you know, the various corporate scandals you've read about or dealt with, heaven forbid, um, it, it, it starts with just one bad decision. Right. And before you know it, that decision snowballs into something and, and rolls farther than you ever intended it to go. Right. And right. so I think that's I, I think it's a it's a great example of, of making just this point that we've spent <laughs> time talking about. And it's also very funny it's, and, it's, um, and entertaining and something that's fun to watch after a long day. So. After a long day, when you just need it to be mindless and you laugh a little bit, but you're like, oh my gosh, they like seem like totally normal women. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> this makes the point. It makes the point. Yeah, it does. Melissa, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much for being so giving um, of your time. I appreciate it. And I know these are very busy times for you. So thank you again. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Cindy, for the opportunity. It's always fun um, to talk business ethics with, with a fellow professional. So thank you. <laughs> Well, you're welcome. And that's it. It's a wrap for this week. We'll be back again next week for another episode of The Biz, the Business Integrity School. So we look forward to seeing you all back then. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, the Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. 
And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.